I think that at one time or another, we've all asked the question, why, Lord? Why, God? And it's not usually a fun question. It isn't usually asked at the best of times. Now, I suppose someone could ask the question, why me, Lord, after just winning the lottery? But it's unlikely that you'd even stay around very long listening for the answer because you'd be so excited about what you'd received. You might say, why has this happened after you just got the job that you've always wanted or after you just got a huge tax windfall or after you just found out that you were pregnant after trying for years or had been chosen to be an adoptive parent after a decade of applications? But usually, instead of asking why, when great things happen for us, if our mind turns to the Lord at all, we probably just say, hit our knees and say thank you. It's completely different when tragedy strikes. When a young father dies of a stroke, then we ask God, why? And when a car accident leaves you paralyzed, then you lie back in your bed, unable to move and say, God, what were you thinking? What's your plan for me now? When you lose your job because of downsizing after being with the same company for two decades, and when your daughter's just about to start university and you've got tuition to pay, then you ask, why is this happening now? You move to a new country, to a new region where jobs are supposed to be plentiful, only to find that they've had an economic downturn and jobs are very difficult to come by in many sectors. That's when you ask questions about just what God intended by bringing you to a new country. There is one big problem with all of this when we insist on answering, asking the question, why? It's almost never answered to our satisfaction. God doesn't typically answer the why question. You know, Jonathan and Michiko have a friend in Airdrie who is the mother of five young kids. And she appears right now to be dying of cancer. She's presently in great pain. And the doctors have said that there's nothing that they can do. And I can totally understand how she and her husband might ask the question, why? What is going on? Unfortunately, I'm not sure an adequate answer is going to come back to them from the Lord. I've probably done as much serious thinking about this question as anyone in our church, having taught a university-level course on the subject, but answering the question why still eludes me to a large degree. There are so many times when I just don't get it, and sometimes I don't have the right words to say to people who greatly suffer. And it's personal with me as it is with some of you. I can remember asking why when I was seven years old and my best friend Steve Finnegan was killed by a drunk driver while he was on his bike, was thrown 10 feet in the air. That time I sat on my mother's lap and through my tears I kept saying to her, why did God let this happen now when I knew him? Because what I wanted was for it to happen when it wouldn't cause me so much pain. And I could remember two years later when the same woman who had comforted me, comforted me when Steve Finnegan died herself passed away. And like it was yesterday, I can remember finding my dad lying on my bed, crying. And I don't remember what I said to him, but I remember his response, which was, I didn't want your mother to die, and I don't know what to do. I'm guessing that dad had probably asked himself the question, why, a thousand times if he asked it once. 
but I also think that a thousand times he only heard silence in response. Now, some Christians have tried to give the general answer that it's just the Lord's will when tragedy strikes, that he has a purpose and a plan for everything, and that someday we'll all understand. Now, I think that's satisfying only partially. Some have tried to actually state the specific reasons that they think something specific has happened, trying to sort out the mysterious ways of God and project God's intentions into some circumstance. Some have said, clearly, God wanted that person to be with him, and so they've taken our loved one home. But I'm not sure that really is satisfying to the one left behind who's asking why there was so much pain involved in the life and or death of someone they love so much. How do we justify the immense pain through which some people struggle in life? It's hard to imagine that an intense, prolonged, agonizing pain is necessary in order for God to teach someone something about life that he wanted them to learn. Suffering with intense pain for years seems a bit unnecessary in order to teach a life lesson. And that's not to say that learning and instruction don't come. Many people will say that they're better people because they struggled. But is there not some other way of bringing about growth in an individual other than agonizing torture? Well, this problem is one that many have tried to sort out through the centuries and even through millennia because it's been an unending struggle for humankind to try and find some kind of solace and satisfaction in the midst of suffering. In fact, that's why a lot of wisdom literature is written, in order to answer the question of pain and suffering. And in, the, in this way, the Bible's no different. It does offer some wisdom on the subject, trying to give us understanding and insight about the problem of suffering, trying to help us respond as best we can. In our case, one of the places this happens is through one of the great Jewish books of wisdom, the book of Job. And so I want you to turn, we're not going to be able to read all of this, but I want you to turn to the first chapter of Job and at least just kind of glance at it as I talk about it a bit. And just for a few moments, I'm going to tell you what I think the book of Job is trying to do for us regarding the question of suffering. And then in the course of this, I simply want to implore you to read one of the great biblical books. Now, one of the first things I want to say as we turn there, and, and by the way, I, you know, I did send you an email. I, I'm hoping that you've read the first uh, couple of chapters or so of the book of Job and got a handle for what the story is all about. Uh, so I'm not going to read all of this. But the first thing I want to say is that unfortunately, Job is probably not going to do for you what you want it to do. It isn't actually going to answer the why God question. And while that may be disappointing, this is one time when I think we need to hear the message that maybe God knows best. God clearly did not include the book of Job in the canon so that we would receive an answer to the why God question because he doesn't answer that question in the book of Job. What he instead does is, is two things. First, he shows us some answers, often through Job's reflections himself, but then more often through Job's friends. Answers that obviously don't work. And that's got to be part of what this story is about. It's about the fact that the answers we come up with don't actually answer the question, why? So part of what Job is trying to say to us is that we shouldn't begin to think that we can speak for God, sorting out the mysteries, giving answers because of the void left when we won't, when he won't tell us why. And, I, and it's often, I think, the wisest thing not to try and answer the question. But the second thing God does with Job is show the right way to think about the question of suffering. And that's what we're going to see as we look to the end of the book. 
Now, again, I hope you've read the first couple of, of chapters. I'm not going to uh, read through this. I hope you know the story. Satan comes before God. They have a conversation. And God allows Satan to go into the world and to basically torture Job. He, he takes away uh, his possessions, his livestock, his servants. He ends up taking away his children. Job basically loses everything. And then the rest of the book is an effort by Job and his friends to try to provide some kind of answer in light of these circumstances. Sometimes the answers are about what God must be doing. Sometimes they're about what Job must have done. Sometimes they're about what Job needs to do. For most of the book, Job refuses to blame God. Most of the time he tries to suffer his way through it, both in terms of what happened to him and the criticisms that he receives from his friends. But in chapters 27 through 31, and you can turn there if you'd like and kind of glance through those, Job asserts his innocence, and he insinuates that God has deserted him. He doesn't reject God. It's not like he says, I don't believe. But he certainly says that God has not treated him fairly. So by the end of the book, Job is making some accusations against God. And then in chapter 38, if you want to look there, God suddenly steps in and answers Job. And the basic answer that God gives about Job's suffering is not the answer we want to hear. We want to hear some reason that, that makes it all make sense. We want some immensely comforting thought uh, that's filled with purpose and justification, that brings peace and satisfaction so that we can say, oh, now I get it. I see what you're up to, Lord. But instead, there's no answer to the why question. What there is, is a message that calls for us to rest in God, even despite the fact that there is no answer to our why God question. So look at chapter 38, verse 1. Here's what the Lord says. The text says, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm, and he said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set, or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it first burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits to it and set doors and bars in place? When I said to the sea, this far you may come and no farther? Here's where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? Well, God continues to question Job, asking him these rhetorical questions about, were you there and did you do this and do you understand? And of course, the answers are no. And, and Job needs to just be silent. In chapter 40, verse 2, it says, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Well, in response to all of this, Job answers the Lord in 
verse 3. I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Then in chapter 42, verse uh, verse 2, Job again replies to the Lord, and he says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Well, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Well, here's the point. God doesn't want us to trust him because he satisfied our questions. He, he doesn't want us to trust him because he gave us an answer to the why question. He instead wants us to trust him even when we aren't satisfied. You know, every parent has at some point said to their children, because I said so. But when we say, because I said so, our point is not that we simply want to withhold an answer and keep our children in the dark just for the sake of control. We just want to keep them under our thumb and, and cause them to respect us. We just want to have power over them. Usually, instead, it's because right at that moment, we feel something that they won't begin to understand no matter what we say. Perhaps we can't adequately put into words what we're thinking and what we're feeling so that they can understand. And right at that moment, what we want from them, what we need from them, but which is, I think, so difficult for kids at the best of times to get, is that we just want them to trust us. Now, unfortunately for us, our kids have seen us in ways that may cause them to question. They know God, dad and mom aren't perfect. They have seen us make mistakes. They've seen us make bad decisions. They've seen us lose our cool. They know that we're human and that there might be valid reasons to question our judgment at times. But what we want right at that exasperated moment when we say, because I said so, is for them just to trust us. And I think that's what God wants from Job. After all, is God not worthy of that? Now, there are some who would answer the question, is God not worthy of that? They'd answer that with a no. Just look at the world that he's created, they would say. But that's just the point. We can't begin to look at the world and what happens here and then to comprehend what God is really doing. I cannot imagine all the issues involved in creating relationship with people like us, in creating a world like this. You know, I don't even know what's happening at the bottom of our deepest ocean to say nothing about what is holding together a universe comprised of a hundred million galaxies. The majority of these are billions and billions of light years away. Am I supposed to then think that I have some kind of answer to deep mysteries when really only God knows these mysteries? Am I really in a position to raise into question something about the way he created things? Are you? Especially when, and I think this is so much the crux of the issue, when he has been in relationship with us like this for so long, he's loved us like he has, most specifically in the person of Jesus Christ. 
and then we question him? I'm not saying the questions shouldn't cross our minds. Of course they're going to. And in fact, God expects questions to come to mind. If he wouldn't, if he didn't uh, expect those questions to come, he wouldn't have placed the book of Job in the canon. There certainly would have been no scene in this book like the first couple of chapters if God didn't get our questions. That's the whole point of them. But at the end of this book, after so much human wisdom has been presented about Job's plight, God comes and says, please don't insist on answers and on questioning me and on your right to know. Instead, trust me as God, as creator, as caretaker, as one who loves you. Stay in relationship with me and listen and seek wisdom and allow me to give you peace despite everything going on around you. And that's what God wants from you today. During the darkest, most frustrating days of our lives, God is calling you in the book of Job to trust him. So I encourage you, I commend to you the book of Job. Read it. Listen to the answers given by Job's friends. Listen to Job's own struggles as he eventually gets to the point where he finally thinks, God has deserted me. And then listen to God as he answers and says to Job, trust me. I need you to trust me, even if you don't understand. I pray that when suffering comes into your life, that you can find it within yourself to trust and honor, and honor God even when you don't understand. God bless you.